This is Transcend with Nat, where we're discovering our higher purpose and sharing stories and awarenesses along the path of transcendence. Hi, this is Nat. Welcome to the show today. We've got a good show for you. We have John Morton coming up soon. Uh, first, I just want to let you know that there is a website that I have um, where I'll post the new episodes as well as some blog posts and different things going on. You can sign up for the newsletter. Anyway, my uh, website is transcend.online and nothing else, no .com or anything like that, just transcend.online. And you can participate more uh, and find out anything else going on besides these shows. So to start with, I like to talk what's on my mind lately. And something that's on my mind is the voices that we listen to and that we hear in our heads. And why that came up today is that yesterday I went for a run. I had um, a pretty... I would say maybe too aggressive of a goal for having not run for a while. And, but I decided that that was the goal and I, um, starting out and I knew that I had hear this voice at some point that would tell me to stop or tell me I've done enough or any of those things. And I decided that, uh, that voice would not win today. And so I, was in the middle of the run and of course the pain came and the exhaustion and all of that and uh, that voice was very strong very powerful and it did not win yesterday um, and it just made me think about it more it's something that's been on my mind lately and I listened to a great seminar by uh, John Roger which voice are you following which has some great stuff about all of this and one thing that I have found is really beneficial is to set up something in your life to overcome that voice every day. Something small, I think they call them uh, small wins in academic circles, but it's basically if you can set something up. So for me lately, it's been these cold finishing showers. So after my warm shower, which is already part of my routine, I'm already showering, then I turn the shower to cold and have the rest of it as a cold shower. Now, I personally don't like it. I don't like it at all. And that I love the feeling afterwards. You feel invigorated. But um, that is something that is definitely kicks up that voice some days more than others. Some days I don't it doesn't come up and talk to me. And some days that negative voice inside uh, definitely doesn't want to do that cold shower. And it just gives me a small win, a small opportunity to start my day uh, by overcoming that voice. And so I really recommend um, finding something and maybe some of you doing 10 minutes of spiritual exercises or meditation uh, before you get up and have your coffee and have your morning routine. Maybe that would be something that brings the voice up or maybe it's making your bed or doing something that, uh, that you don't like to do, that you don't want to do, that's not a big thing, that's kind of part of your routine. And it gives you an opportunity just to overcome that voice every day uh, in, in maybe a small way uh, because there's big ways that those 
that voice can affect you too. You know, if you're an artist, it can affect you know people who are artists or even work or or school homework. There's so many things in this life that um, that negative voice can start talking to us or saying that uh, what's the point of doing something? You know, people don't care. All of those kind of internal voices and. The other reason it's been on my mind is um, there's been a couple people I've been working with and and also friends with, um, and some of them have uh, addictive patterns, and that voice can get really strong, especially when you give yourself over to that voice when it comes to um, alcohol or any kind of drugs that you get addicted to. What's interesting about that voice is it can be extremely powerful, especially as I've seen lately with um, friends and people I know who have gotten clean, gotten off of alcohol or drugs. And when they're going through that process, uh, that voice, that voice is extremely powerful. And it seems to be an independent voice, like the drugs actually talk to them, the alcohol talks to them. And... um, they've given over so much. And so one of the things that, uh, that can happen with that is you get this habit of giving over to this other external voice and it can be extremely challenging, uh, not to mention just the regular physical addictive patterns, but even the psychological, um, to give over to that outside voice. And as you become more attuned and or sensitive, um, some people like I, if I'm around someone who is doing those things, um, who is addicted to drugs or alcohol, I can walk away from them and I can start hearing the voice. I can hear the voice uh, that was, that's with, that they've, that's around them. Um, and it seems to be this external thing. And, and it may start talking to me. It could even talk to me about drugs or alcohol. Or it could talk to me about um, the weaknesses I may have and, and try to frame it that way. And so I've learned to clear myself. And if I'm unable to, I get people to help me clear myself of those things when I happen to pick them up from others. But I think it's just something that's... Uh, that we can all work on. And I think just wherever you are starting to put things into your routine to be able to overcome those voices is a really positive uh, way of doing it. And it's something that's been great for me and it has effects in uh, throughout your day. And it's a great way to start the day. Uh, so that's really what's been on my mind. And uh, something thought I'd share on this podcast before we get into the main part of the show, the big part of the show with our interview with John. So uh, let's go into the interview now. So today on the show, we have John Morton, who is the spiritual director of MSIA, the Movement of Spiritual Inner Awareness. Uh, he's the chairman of the board of Insight Seminars, which are transformational seminars the Chancellor of the University of Santa Monica. He's also an author of The Blessings Already Are and You Are the Blessings. 
He's an extremely busy man who is constantly on the move, <laughs> traveling, doing workshops, seminars, retreats, leading large tours of people, doing different spiritual works all over the world. And uh, it's my pleasure. He's also was passed the keys to the mystical traveler consciousness by our mutual spiritual teacher, John Roger. And you've had that now for 30 years this year? It'll be this year, it'll be 30 years, yeah. Well, that's a very long time, so <laughs> congratulations <laughs> on that. <Yeah. laughs> um, so I'm really pleased to have him on our show today. So thank you, John, for doing this interview. Pleasure. Um, so before we get into some more deeper things, I thought I'd ask you kind of a personal interest question, which would be, you travel a lot. Do you think more, more than six months of the year, right? I don't track it that much. I mean, I, I estimate it's about six months and I did track it maybe a couple years back their ways. And if anything, it's probably more. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would make sense. Cause you always seem to be going somewhere. So the question I have is, is there any items that like are a must for someone like you that when you go to get on that airplane, like what is a must for you to have when you're going on those big trips all over the place? Well, um, you know, the obvious is whatever is necessary for uh, identification, but you know what, if, when I back it up and people ask me, how do you do it? And you know, what works, what is a must is my comfort. I make sure my comfort. So if I, lots of people, and I think you're one of them know that I pack a, a lot just based on how much luggage or whatever. And, and essentially I'm willing to do that even though sometimes there's a inconvenience or something like that or extra charge here or there. But in any case, uh, I like having something there that would make me feel at home, basically. So that's my one tip is trap travel in the way you like. And if that's really spare, you know, just then that's the way you go and, and make, take care of yourself when you travel. Yeah, that's very good advice because I think we've both known people uh, who they'll travel with the most miniature duffel bag for weeks and weeks and somehow make that work. And then those of us who like a little bit more, right. <laughs> to stay comfortable. Um, so let's start diving into some of the questions I have. First off, how would you define or how do you look at what your work is in this world? What your life's work is? It's always fascinating what happens to me when, a uh, question like that is put to me. The first response is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, just a sense. I don't have a pat answer. I don't have something memorized, you know, to respond. Um, but I, I do consider my work is my heart, my heart and soul. And, um, I remember now I'm remembering a time when I was living and working with John Roger up in Mandeville Canyon and I was doing spiritual exercise kind of in the morning, you know, I had a space and I want, I felt called to it. And then 
I started having a very deep experience of loving people and, and it just kept going deeper. So I was, the tears started coming because I felt in a way out of control that I was so deeply um, connected to loving people. And I had an understanding that this is my work or this is my purpose is to love people. Um, and it was also an experience that people are beautiful and I was looking at all the different varieties and some of those varieties get pretty dark and negative. Um, and then I, I saw how much compassion I have. Um, and when I was young, let's say up to 10 years old, when I would see a crippled person, something would happen to me where I just felt so powerfully uh, compassionate toward them. And I would wonder, well, what is that? Because it wasn't like I felt sorry for them. I felt a deep love for them, uh, a deep understanding. And it was something like sympathy, but sympathy doesn't quite say what it is. It was just this deep feeling that I'm connected to people. And uh, then I'll, I'll do one more part to this answer. In my family, nobody went had gone pri prior to me, uh, or let's say completed college. My, my brother and sister attended, but they didn't get too far. But when I was in high school, I was identified as a college something. Like, oh, you should be in college, and marked that way. And then I had some advisor come. I didn't know. I met him. He was meeting with lots of students that day. He probably had five minutes max. He looked at my college or my academic records and then said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to work with people. Explained it a bit. And he said, no, 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 those, those people are a dime a dozen. You'll never really earn any money. And uh, you're good in science. You should get in science. Uh, okay, I need to see my next appointment. <laughs> so that was your counselor. And that was my counselor. And I literally went into science and got a degree in renewable natural resources. I worked two years, you know, this, uh, as a park ranger. And I came back, spent four more years in college getting a counseling degree. That was in 78. Uh, by December of 78, it was at Jared's doorstep. And I had told my college advisor, you know, about my master's degree that I want to do spiritual counseling. He said, that doesn't exist. You know, you'll need to figure something else out. Well, I, I came to find out it does exist. So that's one way I look at what I do in my work is spiritual counseling. You know, I have uh, spiritual director positions, you know, and that's another way I look at it that I have a gift or attunement with spiritual direction, and I share it. That's pretty great. So you did mention spiritual exercise, and for those who are out there that may not know what that means or, or how to do that, uh, do you want to give a, a little <laughs> explanation sure. of that? Sure. Yes, it's one of my specialties. How did you know? <laughs> uh, you know, I love... You know, many ways that J.R. referred to it, uh, you know, I consider J.R. is a genius. And uh, 
so he said talking with God is prayer. Um, that's, that's one way to do spiritual exercises, talk with God. And I, and really consider you are in communication. And, you know, if people want to call it a higher source, fine. You know, I don't think the name is so important. I, it can be because of attunement being able to get on a frequency. But the most important qualities in spiritual exercise are being truthful in an honest, open way that you would present yourself into spirit. And then loving, you know, just a, a, a loving consciousness. If people have that, then, then that's going to be spiritual exercise. And maybe people th think, well, I don't think of spiritual exercise as being truthful and loving. And it's like, well, I do. That's been my experience. Then there's something in the movement of spiritual inner awareness and what John Roger taught. And so obviously I'm his student. Uh, and I have adopted, uh, you know, his practices, his uh, directions, and then come into my own experience of those. So then what I would be saying to people is there's a way to call God's name. And that's ancient, you know, long ago discovered, practiced in many different religion disciplines. So we do that. You know, we do it as... One way I would put it is Shabda Yoga, the yoga of the soul, the yoga of the sound, that there's a quality of that. And so we do that practice. And it's also a devotion that it's very important that we're t taking ourselves away from worldly concerns or outer concerns, including our personal concerns, which may seem strange. Like, what do you mean? I, I don't focus on my personal concerns it's like correct <laughs> right right now focus on coming into a consciousness of the truth and a love of that truth even if it's difficult and then that loving of the truth also becomes a loving of everything even the the difficult negative parts um, and then i i find that it's it's like meditation and then we make a distinction that it's more dynamic than quieting the mind. Quieting the mind is valuable. So having a practice that quiets the mind, you know, comes into a kind of a still, quiet state is valuable. But I look at what we're doing is we're traveling. We put ourselves in a, a conscious awareness of the movement of spiritual inner awareness uh, and that there is a consciousness we call the mystical traveler uh, you know and that's a name Jer tagged and I, I looked at it like he wanted to do something maybe new and yet you'd say well that's the or that's the and it's like yes of course it is in other words it's something that others have known and discovered and experienced um long ago and given other names and other interpretations but so we're doing that and we're doing it at the level of soul so we make a distinction between psychic awareness and spiritual awareness and again how would that happen and i i just say well the 
easiest way that I know is to allow that consciousness to help us, to call it forward or call ourselves forward to this consciousness of the soul by whatever name to call ourselves into that. So that's the attunement I'm seeking and allowing. And I consider there's a kind of law that's there. If you claim it, if you seek it, you can find it. So if I call out for soul awareness, not psychic awareness or astral traveling or something like that, then I I have a right to find it, that I'm going to be brought to that because I'm uh, dedicated to that experience. Okay, I could say a lot more. And I know I just said a lot if someone's just listening for the first time to oh, that's great. this aspect. Definitely <laughs> um, loved hearing about that. So, I, I and I just a note on what you said um, in terms of JR making up this term, the mystical traveler. I, I think it's uh, the more I actually talk to people about spiritual things, the more brilliant I think it is that he created a term that nobody knows what it is because a lot of people when you discuss spiritual things they get caught up on these words that they've been brought up with and they mean certain mm -hmm. th different things to different people and different religions um, and so having something that nobody knows what it is it's a lot less likely you're going to get caught up on the word and be more open to the experience of what all this is about. So one thing, it, it sounded like to me you were saying, so I'm going to ask you this, uh, do you consider service as part of spiritual exercises? Yes, in, in the bigger dimensions of what it is. I mean, in a way, I look at service as service. Uh, but certainly when we are open and conscious of who we are, the divine aspect of who we are, then you could, you could say, well, I'm having a spiritual exercise, a, a spiritual awakening. Um, I'm transforming. I'm having revelation while I'm helping someone. Or maybe I'm just cleaning up the environment and something happens. Um, you know, we could call it enlightenment uh, and that that could be something very gradual, you know, not just over a lifetime, but over lifetimes. Or it could be something like an explosion, you know, seemingly instantaneous. Uh, and there's been witnesses, testimony to that effect for people. Uh, and I, I look at service as something that comes naturally when we're awake spiritually. We want to do something to make someone or something better, including ourselves. But but service is something that gets beyond it's what's in it for me. So obviously, when we're in that willingness and that and I want to help, that can be also the spiritual nature is coming through, and we're being influenced by it. And while it does that, I've had this experience often that I. I'm having revelation while I'm in service. So I'm having new thought, uh, new experience. And not just of a, 
a worldly manner, but something transcendental. Like, I haven't had this thought before. And it's, in a way, it's new, but then my experience with enlightenment and revelation is, I already know this, but I'm just consciously knowing that I already know this. Or one more time, it's like, oh, I've been knowing this, but I didn't realize it in this way. And, and that's kind of an awakening. So service to me is a very beautiful extension of spiritual awakening. That's great. Um, one thing that, you know, a lot of people have conceptions about spiritual teachers, way showers, guides, you know, whatever you want to call that position, people who have a spiritual mantle, enlightenment, illumination, um, that somehow they get it and it's almost like they just are perfect or something. So my question to you is how you've been doing this 30 years now um, since JR passed uh, his mantle to you um, to continue the work. And has that been something, do you have a lot of learnings, revelations along the way, like what, and maybe you have some examples of, you know, experiences you've had along the way that have, um, it's almost like that you become more aware during the process. <laughs> that, what, what I'm laughing about is that it's so much more beyond what you're saying, but you're, you're saying something that's accurate, you know, very accurate. Um, but it's like way, way beyond what you're saying in the depth and the power of what it is, meaning I'm constantly learning. And I, I do consider, and I've said this before, how did I become the traveler? Well, I was one, a great student and I wanted to be a great student. So that was my ambition. And obviously I considered, well, if I'm, around this guy, John Roger, who I consider is my spiritual teacher, then that would be a great opportunity. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Indeed. And uh, so then I sought that out. And the way I instantly understood kind of on the first day, and I can, I can still remember, I can still see it, when I was up at uh, his house in Mandeville Canyon and then he said you could stay in the motorhome because I had all my things in my car and so where are you staying and there we go and then I, I realized immediately I better do something to help here I, I, but I didn't know what so I just grabbed a broom or a rake because the garage was open and that's what I started doing was helping so it's that combination of being a great student and helping. And I, I consider that um, John Roger and I are, <laughs> I'm funny, I'm thinking of great partnerships, you know, like George Burns and Gracie Allen or uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. I mean, and who knows why I'm thinking of those, but they weren't necessarily like each other. And then in some ways you might look at like, how did those two get together? But 
and then there's Abbott and Costello, and I mean the the, the list goes on. Um, and it, it's like because they have enough disparity in their differences, and I I look at kind of that Jer came from above, and anybody that reads his story or knows his story knows there was a descent of a consciousness in 1963 between December 3rd and December 23rd. It wasn't just then because he tells a lot about before, you know, that he was having all kinds of experiences that were amazing when he was Roger Hinkins and then this transformation. And then he obviously had great abilities. I mean, just I don't I don't know how to put any measure on them or even what to call them, but he had great abilities uh, that I didn't have, and and then more or less I go well look at the line of people who don't have those abilities. It's a very long line, so I just look like well I'm not doing the traveler the way he did it. I'm I'm I look at it like I'm from the ground up, and then at some point you get the two meeting and I go, well, that's like God and man, you know, God comes from another dimension and then incorporates into a human body uh, and away we go, you know, that that's a combination between the material and the spiritual. And I, I look like, well, I'm literally the anchor that, that that took place in 1988. And then you know, my abilities are not the same as John Roger. I think that was pretty obvious. Uh, and yet, you know, there's something there where it's unified and, and it's an integrated as a whole. And then when people ask me questions like your questions today, uh, I'm amazed often at what I become conscious of and that I'm not doing it out of theory. I mean, I, I can certainly talk in that way, but often my experience is I'm speaking with the voice of experience, even if you go, well, how do you know that? <laughs> then I'd say, well, you're, you're correct. I, I, I don't know how to prove it to you or tell you exactly how I know it. I just know it. And J.R. said it as much often that if it ever came down to prove it, we're stuck. You have to, in some way, get your own proof. And I, to me, I look at that as part of the perfection and the design, is we all have to get our own proof. We all have to get our own experience in, in how this all works. Um, and all along the way, in these 30 years, uh, I've had amazing experiences. Um, and I had... The gift, uh, John Roger was uh, still around, you know, while I was working it out all those years. Um, and then even the sense that when he pulled back in terms of his worldly involvements, and I know you know exactly what I'm talking about, anybody was still here physically, I, I felt that gift you know, that there was something about it uh, that uh, in a personal way I felt like he was still anchoring for me, you know, still holding 
a rod of power in a body over there that at least I could talk to him, at least, I, you know, physically, you know, that that meant something. I, but I also understood more and more he was saying, hey, kid, you got to work this out. You got to find out how to do this. I'm not going to be here uh, every day, you know, every year. So work it out, kid. Come on. I don't remember, remember talking to me like that, but it's at some point it, it was like that. That's how I experienced it, that he was really saying, you need to work this out yourself 100%, um, and yeah, I'm going to be who I am spiritually, but you're too dependent on me physically, and I love being dependent on him. I, I don't apologize for it. Yeah. So in this experience, uh, since, since you've been doing this, what have been for you, it could be personally or in terms of the work, uh, some of your greater challenges in doing this? Um, now I'm laughing. At first, I was over, like, oh, wow. <laughs> Do we have to go there? Almost. Yeah. Uh, there certainly have been great challenges at times. Um, you know, it's something like I wasn't experiencing myself satisfied with my ability to do what I was called upon to do spiritually. It was somehow I'm inadequate for this. Just as a general subject on what's challenging. And then over and over I realized, well, if you look at what's not designed in a human being to do what it is spiritually, well, of course it's going to be inadequate. So you have to let go, you have to surrender, you have to trust, um, show up. And and that's what I experienced over and over. It, the honesty of what's required is completely ruthless. You know, so my experience, if I'm not honest and, and first of all, inside, you know, that that's really the place uh, that spirit knows immediately if I'm trying to shadow or avoid or deny, you know, what's true. And then, it, I mean, it can feel like there's instant karma. There's instant, my face is just being rubbed in something that's so awful. And it's not like it's brutal or in any way um, unkind or, or hurtful or anything. like. It's not. It's just completely ruthless in its truthfulness. So that's been challenging, but it also it's been fantastic. <laughs> it's been an amazing blessing to have instant karma or something like that. I, I tell people instant karma, in my view, is a great blessing. Like, get it. Don't, don't take... I'll have my karma delayed and held off until another time. I'd say that's a kind of a curse in my view. Um, but it, it often works that way in how I view it, that people do have to put it off because they couldn't handle our, all their karma converging in this moment. Uh, and so that's why time was invented as a perfect <laughs> dimension to delay our karma until we could handle it or in some way choose it. My point of view is choose it now. Uh, 
confront it now, face it now. Um, and, you know, and I, in a very similar way, John Roger being a distributor of my karma. Again, I, I know, you know what that is. Yep. Um, it was like a curse at times because again, it was ruthless and then it felt so unfair or so something like you don't understand or, um, appreciate, I, I don't know. It, it's like, it's crazy to try to go there. But then when I got some altitude so I could really see he was delivering my karma, I thought, Oh my God, he does it was some kind of compassion. I could see his compassion. I could see his willingness to personally get in the mud or something like that, that he was personally delivering it. And so that wasn't always a fun thing to be involved in uh, when someone's at their worst or they're getting what is my weakness, my lowest nature out let's get this thing out. Let's not leave it buried or unconscious anymore. Um, so that, that part was difficult at times because it could feel like he was in opposition or, or something like that. And I knew that was some kind of crazy. Um, and then I felt insane. And then I felt like I'm, I'm such a... <laughs> bad person or something like that uh, because I wasn't holding my end up and, and you know more and more I, I just looked at it like get over that and and then he would often respond in ways like that he wouldn't pay much attention to my wallowing or my somehow reacting um, and didn't have much sympathy for it and I'm, I, I understand it was like well one person being miserable is enough. It doesn't help for another person to feel bad. And it's like, get over it. Uh, and then I, I would say there's some degree of the world uh, being how it is that's disappointing, discouraging. I would think most people know what I'm talking about, you know, that we'd like the world to be better than it is. I'd certainly like that. Uh, but I understand it is what it is. Uh, and I, I also have the, the sense of understanding that those who have a spiritual mantle, uh, this is not an easy world to work that out, you know, to bring spirit into manifestation, to even have a spiritual message uh, in this world. You know, you can basically get your head knocked off or something like that. Um, if, and to some degree, allowing that, you know, choosing to what I see often is be stupid. And then it's not, it's not really helping anything to set yourself up to get the hell beat out of you or something. If, if the reality is, you know, if you just held your tongue, they wouldn't do that. So just hold your tongue. And it's like, well, I want to tell them off. Okay. <laughs> it's like, hey, did you like that? No, <laughs> they shouldn't be that way. I wouldn't do that to them. Well, but there are people who will beat the hell out of you if they don't like what you said. And I realized, okay, this is a, a tough world at times, 
but again, the soul's here. And I, I just see that that's the love of the soul. That when I say I love people, I'm really loving not the worst of what we do. I mean, it, it, there's importance in loving that, but to stop it and move it into a higher way of expressing. Yeah, that's pretty valuable if you can come from that higher <laughs> perspective um, with all the difficulties of this world. Have you found, um, you, you spoke a little bit about how when you were the student to JR and probably in many ways you still are a student, uh, have you found now that you're also on the other side of that where you're um, at least looked at it as a teacher, I don't know if you consider yourself a teacher, but a teacher or a um, way shower or whatever word you want to put on that. Um, ha have you found, what have you found from the opposite side of it? Because as a student, obviously, it's like, wow, that seems unfair. Um, you know, what's your experience of the, the other side? The other side is magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is, uh, I mean, what you're saying, I, I interpret as you're talking about what is it like to be spiritually attuned and authorized, empowered, endowed, and to be able to express that for people. And then people's, and dealing with people's reactions. Right, and, and all that. Um, that is magnificent. And even in what it is as an interaction, so then it then becomes some kind of an exchange, and I've certainly been challenged in that way often, and it's part of, to me, what goes with it, um, to demonstrate infinite patience, and spiritually, there is infinite patience. So when I'm attuned that way, and the way I'm interacting with people, I have the patience to wait it out, endure until the end, however many ends there are. Um, but there's also uh, a kind of intelligence <clears throat> that wouldn't waste its time. You know, I often say that our source, our spirit is a great conservator. And it doesn't waste energy. So if people kind of spit on what you're offering, it's not like it's going to slap you or you know, put its heel over your neck. No, it doesn't have that interest, but it could turn, could banish, <laughs> like where'd it go? And then people lose track of it or they turn around, where'd you go? What happened? You know, and I, I watched Jared do that many times. He'd just get up and start walking out. Jared, where are you going? <laughs> Somewhere out, <laughs> not here. <laughs> And if you were smart, you get up and start following because he's going. And and then he was saying something like, I'm not going to be in a place if it's not fun, if it's not uplifting. I'm not going to waste my time. And I look at spirits like that all the time, but at the same time it has this understanding, this compassion, forgiveness, empathy that it would endure to the end and that's great love. That's uh, a great power of grace in action. So I, 
when I have that part of it, it's not a bother. And yet it's not uh, something like I'm, I'm submitting to someone's negative power. I don't look at it. it it's submitting to a negative power. It's, it's loving the negative power, even when people bring it forward. So in the spirit, we know how to do ole, you know, like people charge, but it's like it's not, it's going to minimize the hurt. And if there is hurt, it's what people have done or created themselves. And it's not what the spirit would want or even be involved in. It's, it's unnecessary. And when we really get a hold of it, we say it's completely unnecessary. I didn't have to hurt anybody. I didn't have to hurt myself. Exactly. And then there's not a, a real judgment there. There's an opportunity to change that, to transform it. And that's magnificent when people shift to be there, when someone has a, a realization, I don't want to ever do it again. And the next part of that is, and you don't have to do it again. But if you do, don't judge yourself. Don't condemn yourself because that has a way of reinforcing it. Yeah, you brought up a lot of points there. One just made me remember um, something that I've actually been thinking about lately, which is Jerry used to tell me that God is conservation-minded. Uh, and I've been, I, I swear he ha said it in a seminar somewhere, and I've been searching and looking for it, and I haven't found where he said it there. But he told me a number of times, God is conservation-minded. And really, it was that ruthlessness with the energy and what, the involvement is in not being inflictive on other people. Um, and yeah, Jer, Jer would just walk out. If the situation wasn't in the spirit or it was not uplifting, he, he would just get up and go. And I think to me, that's a great demonstration of something everyone can learn from, which is if you're in a situation that's, that's not uplifting or not um, helpful or is hurting someone or yourself, and you have the ability, uh, you have a choice just to get out, remove yourself, um, if, if that's within your ability to do. Uh, and I think that's a very valuable lesson. Um, so next question would be, what have been since, and we could extend this back since before you uh, got the keys to the mystical traveler, um, but what has been the highlights for you of um, either doing this work as the mystical traveler or learning with JR before? Like, is there any uh, experiences that come to mind as like, wow, those were really highlights or, or um, great experiences? There's a lot of those, so the challenge is finding <laughs> just one or two or something like that. Uh, Well, one of my experiences that was really a highlight is Jared's humanity and being so close to it. Um, so I, I saw the part of him that was very human, very down to earth. Um, so he had emotions, he had thoughts, he had his own reactions, uh, but then he had the, the majestic consciousness that was like no other. So. You know, the highlight was understanding them in a human way. And I, I do consider 
um, that I had an intention to be his best friend, even if I didn't know how or couldn't measure up, like I didn't have the capacity in my personal level to be his best friend, that maybe someone else was way more qualified. But I decided, well, I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, and for a long time, there, you know, there were other people around him who, you know, he seemed to favor more or something like that, um, you know, with his time or his energy or attention or what he would allow them to do, etc. And I just looked at it like, well, I'm going to find my place. And, and then when it became something one day when it was kind of like, well, it's just JR and I in this circle, this place where we lived and worked together uh, up at Mandeville Canyon. And in that dynamic, then the next thing is like, well, uh, we need a president of the church. So that came forward. And then would you be willing to take on the keys of the traveler? And I've said this many times that what really needed to happen in that way, what I was concerned is, well, would it help you? And that was very personal. And I was saying that to him directly. I wasn't trying to like, well, let's go visit, you know, the spiritual hierarchy and, you know, all of that. Uh, it was more like, no, I want to know if this is going to help you. And he said, well, yes, of course. <laughs> and there will be things to work out. And of course there were, but that part to me was my highlight is to be able to be his friend. And, you know, now I'm just saying a friend, you know, to be a friend uh, and to hold that up. And, you know, that wasn't always easy because on a personal level, we didn't always agree. You know, I didn't always think like he thought. <laughs> and uh, so I, I looked at like, well, we may be odd friends or an odd couple in a way, but you know, there's something here, you know, that we would laugh at about it, you know, that he, I knew he was my friend as well. And he demonstrated that in very powerful ways at times. I mean, those are those kind of highlights um, when he would be there for me, I, I, I mean, I'm just all kinds of things, um, where he would in a way drop what he was doing to attend to my situation. And I kind of think, well, there's many more important things than what's going on with me, but he would kind of give me his undivided attention at times. And he was one of those people that had that great gift that it's like he could feel like, well, he's so completely with me. He's not with anybody else. He's not thinking about anyone or anything else at this moment. And that's a great ability to have such presence. Um, you know, and, and to to be there, I mean, what's coming in, you know, and also to be there with his last breath, that was... Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it would have been like if I wasn't <laughs> there. And right now that sounds so selfish. Like, you know, why would you think, you know, you have to be there on his last breath? And I said, well, it just was something like I have to be there. 
and I know I expressed that before he took his last breath to you and to Jay Sue and to others for that matter. Um, but then when I was there, um, it's, it's still something kind of amazing. And when I let my mind think about it, I could get very emotional about it, uh, as, you know, why would that be so important? And I, I don't have a rational explanation for it, you know, cause it's like one breath, one instant and his life was great way, way, way before his last breath and with many highlights uh, all along the way. Uh, and I also, I think, I don't know. I don't know that anybody that had a, a better sense of humor than he did, uh, that he loved to laugh and, and then being around him and his joy, his laughter was a great highlight in my life for sure. Yeah. He, uh, he was always up for a good joke and even in the worst, uh, <laughs> situations he yeah. would, uh, and def and maybe even sometimes more so in the worst situations he would uh, yeah. just bring his sense of humor to bear. Uh, and it was, it was fast and it was witty and it was fun. Um, but I definitely, you know, being there with you and experiencing that last breath that he had, it was for me both powerful and devastating. Um, but it, I, I'm grateful I was there and, and I heard him refer to you many times as his best friend. So I guess you were successful in, <laughs> in being that, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I could judge myself all over the place and tell you, no, I wasn't. Um, but th those moments when I had that experience, um, here's one. He once asked me, and I, I hope I get close enough to how he expressed it. And he, it, it was like the point he was making is there's something about the perfection of how we've been created individually, including our personalities and everything, no matter how many flaws we have in our individuality, like disease or genetics or whatever, even if we've had very great tragedy in our life, but that it's so powerful, the perfection and how we've been made that we wouldn't want to be anybody else. We wouldn't want to trade places. And he said, would you want to trade places with anybody else and I said well with you and he just looked at me like he was in shock and he said it was like really and I said yeah and I think it stunned him astounded him and I, I looked and I was like am I just saying that and I go no I would love I don't know the and it wasn't like oh I'm so sorry you have to be me you know you traded places what a bad deal um but it was that kind of closeness where I I just felt like, well, I'd be anything. I'd be you. I mean, I'd just drop who I am and be you. And there was something about it that was like, wow, this is a great love. This is a great friendship. Um, and I I enjoyed that moment that 
he was like, wow, that's more than, I, I wouldn't want to be you. I wouldn't want to trade places, but you'd want to trade places, really. And I said, yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And yeah, I mean, just as you're talking, I, I'm thinking back to things and just realize in a lot of ways he demonstrated and what I heard you saying is in the story, his, his, he demonstrated what being a best friend is, you know, and dropping everything and just being there with you and supporting you in that way. And, um, I know I definitely attempted to be that for him or be of service in some way. Um, even when the ground was shaking all around as at times around him, you just didn't know where you would end up if you would still end up, uh, working with him or not working with him because things could get very, um, they could get very shaking, you know, I don't really know how to describe how that, how that functioned, but around him, it could just get that way. And to me, the only thing that got me through is like, I don't know, as long as I'm allowed to be, you know, I'm going to just do my best to be your friend, to be there for you, uh, regardless of what anyone else is doing. And, um, so I definitely, I relate to a lot of, of what you're saying. And, and to me, he, as much as I attempted to be a friend to him, I just, it, not to compare myself to him, but it just, his example of his friendship towards me and what he did for me, I don't even know if I have the capability um, to be that, to pay that back in a way or, or to be that great back to him. So I just did the best I could, which seemed to work. Um, so, so I really appreciate you taking this time with us. I think this is a good, a good point to end. Uh, one question that when I remember and thank God I'm remembering it with you, uh, I like to ask people at the end is if you uh, were had passed over into the spirit and you happened to be at your own funeral, um, what, what would the, on a personal level, what would you tell the people at your funeral, uh, was the lesson or lessons that life taught you? <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing at the profoundness of what you're asking me. Uh, and then it, it's almost like, Oh, I should already have figured this out, um, but I haven't. Uh, I I see the wisdom of to live completely, to not leave something withheld. So if we're going to go for it, whatever it is in this world, in the way we live our life, you know, to do it fully, completely uh, is my life's lesson though it's it's just been there don't hold back like a hundred percent and then when i look at the people in the world who do great things accomplish great things i see a lot of that that they call them larger than life and yeah you could say whether well, a genius or greatly um fortuned or they had great abilities all that but i there's something that if we don't allow ourselves to release that to indulge in something and it can be kind of insane at times what like obsessive compulsive beyond measure 
morning, noon, and night, and yet that can be exactly what was called for. Um, you know, and I feel very fortunate that I've identified my passion is of the heart, soul nature to be called into um, sharing in, in the beloved fellowship that we're all blessed of God. We're all God's creation, God's children. And, and I like to make it personal like that. I know some people think, oh, you know, personalizing like God has some beard or something. And I go, well, maybe if we really understood it and how God would appear to each one of us right now, it would come in some form like us that would demonstrate, I'm like you. And I encourage people to learn that, that it's very personal. You know, the divine nature is not some obscure thing that we don't get to ever experience in a very direct way. No, it's experience it as it's not only you, but it's also a great friend, this great friend and companion that we would understand has always been with us through it all, through thick and thin, that we've always been accompanied by a beloved friend who is also a great power, the greatest power. Thank you so much, John, uh, for being on the show today. Um, so if you want to find out more about what John is up to, uh, there's a couple places you can go to find out. One is msia.org, and the other is johnmortonministries.org. So if you want to get in touch with John or find out what he's up to, uh, you can go to those websites. And thank you all for listening to the show today and hope to have you back next time. Thank you all for listening. God bless you all.